Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Woo! Good to see all of you this morning. Um, man, what exciting it was uh, to be able to gather and worship with you. Uh, I have a couple of things before we jump into the message this morning. First of all, uh, some of you are familiar with these little red shoe boxes. Um, these are the Operation Christmas Child Christmas shoe boxes. And um, every year we pack these things up. You put um, uh, there's all kind of cool stuff that you can put in here, and it's up to your discretion. You can fill it with, like, crayons and pencils and maybe a little coloring page or a, a stuffed toy, whatever you can fit in this. And then we put them on pallets, and they get shipped around the world via Operation Christmas Child to kids who this will be the Christmas gift that they will receive. And we've been doing this for 17 years now, and uh, it's a big thing at LifePoint. And you're probably unaware but we have a team of volunteers who actually pack these things all year round, and uh, we actually have a warehouse that we have to utilize in order to do it, because we've already packed 1,500 of these this year. Yeah, isn't that cool? And, um, but we know there's some of you who like to pack these as a family, and so what you can do on your way out of the main auditorium, right off of the, uh, the hallway in the atrium, there's a table set up where you can pick up a box as long as some are left. And uh, you can take this home, you can pack it, there's some information up there about what to put in it, uh, there's a label, you need to make sure you get your label, because you label it, whether it's for a boy or a girl, and uh, then bring it back uh, sometime in the next three weeks, uh, I think it's four weeks from now that we will be packing these things up and shipping them out, and uh, you know, we're, we, we do this at such a scale now that we have to get like forklifts and box trucks to be able to deliver these things, but it's really cool. Uh, to be able to do that, and so we're excited about it. So all you got to do is grab one of these on the way out. And I don't want to try to hang on to this for the entire gathering, and I can't get to the shelf at the back. So who wants it? Right over there? There we go. All right. Somebody was waiting on that. Like they were like, knew where I was going. So there you go. Uh, second thing this morning, uh, if you missed Wednesday night, night of worship this past week, I just want you to know you missed out. Uh, it was incredible. The only way I can describe it is it was electric um, it was unbelievable. I was, uh, my life group actually meets on Thursday nights and, uh, last Thursday night was we kicked off this series, we were finishing up the series on the Holy Spirit. One of the questions that came up, uh, in my life group was as you pray, as you read your Bible, as you're asking God, um, to show you what to do, how do you know for sure that you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, which is a great question, by the way. And um, I would encourage you to ask that question in your life group. And I love when those kind of questions come up in our life group. And so that question got asked. Well, Thursday night this week, uh, one of the ladies in our group uh, just mentioned, she said, you know, last week we were asking, how do we know for sure we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? And she said, I can say this, last night it was no doubt that the Holy Spirit was speaking and moving at LifePoint. And I, it was electric, it was... Um, easily, easily my favorite night in 17 years at LifePoint. I have never enjoyed something more. Um, and the reason for that, I want to make this very clear. I think the reason for that is because we were led in worship not by the seven or eight people that were on stage that night leading worship, uh, but we were led in worship by over 120 students who showed up that night and poured their hearts out. There was a lot of authenticity in the room, a lot of passion in the room, and, um, and our teenagers truly led this church in worship. And, uh, and I want to say a couple of things about that. Uh, first of all, we'll have another night of worship 
coming up. I mean, I don't know how long. We'll probably do it more frequently now after what we experienced last week. Um, And so you don't want to miss it. Uh, By the way, you should probably get here early if we do it again, because I think there were only about four seats left in the room at the last one. Uh, But we'll do that again, and you should make plans to be here. But more importantly, if you have a teenager or you know a teenager, and you are not getting them here on Wednesday night, uh, I'm telling you, if you're not making it a priority for them to be here on Wednesday night, I want you to hear me very clearly. You will have a hard time convincing me that you don't owe them an apology. I'm telling you, what is happening right here in this place on Wednesday night is a move of God. Um, Your students are being exposed to God. They're being educated and and equipped to do work for God. They're having interactions with him. They have small group leaders who are loving on them. Uh, They're hearing a message from absolutely the best student pastor on the planet every single week. Um, If you have teenagers and they're not here, I, I need you to tell me why they're not here. And whatever you say, you may say, well, they're going somewhere else. Okay. You know what? I'm not going to fight you in a dark room over them going somewhere else, but you can't tell me that wherever they're going is not better, is is not as good as what's going on right here. And I'm telling you, if I had a teenager, and I did it one time, but if I had teenagers now, I'd make sure they were parked right here because what is happening cannot be described by anything less than a move of God. And your students have an opportunity to say they experienced that. So get them here. All right? Get them here, get them plugged in, get them involved in a small group where they can be engaged, and uh, I promise those years will result in benefits for you by having them here, all right? All right, that's my pitch for LPY and for Operation Christmas Child. Let's pray, and let's jump in. I'm telling, I, I, I told the first gathering, and I think it proved to be true. This is one of my favorite messages um, in a long time around LifePoint because I think it's quite possibly been one of the most relevant and practical for me, and I bet you it will be for you. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much just for what you're doing around here. Um, I don't want for a minute us to think that this happens everywhere and that we can take for granted that you are moving. I'm full aware. Holy Spirit, it is totally your discretion as to where you move, um, where you move, who you um, who you respond with, how you move, all those things are totally up to your discretion. I'm just thankful that you're choosing to do it right here. And Lord, we, we want to see more of it. I pray you would keep us in a place where your Holy Spirit is free to move and operate in this place, that you continue to make us people who are listening and people who are learning and people who are obeying. Um, I pray that you would continue to inspire us to, to take the next step in our faith journey and to engage the people who are around us and take this thing called the gospel to the very ends of the world. Uh, Thank you for who you are. Lord, as we open up your word, I pray you bring clarity to the conversation, you bring conviction, and you bring courage that we might respond in a way that would be appropriate to you. In Jesus' name, everybody in the room said, amen. Last week, Quentin kicked off this message, and uh, and he did a great job, by the way, kicking off this, this series on Suda, but but he kind of started off telling you something that was just only partially true, and I don't like partial truth, so I want to clarify it. You know, he made the comment that we, he, get, he got to kick this off because he's the only person on staff who played college football, okay? And, and there's truth in that. Granted, it was at a college you've never heard of. And the only reason I've ever heard of it is because they offered me a baseball scholarship, but I turned it down. 
because, I mean, because I'd never heard of it, right? Uh, no, really, actually, the reason I turned it down is because along with scholarships, I was still going to have to go and pawn my kidneys and my heart and some of my limbs to be able to still afford to go there um, <coughs> because it is a private school. But that's really not why that we let him teach a series that has a football theme. The real reason is, is because uh, for years at LifePoint, for like 10 years at LifePoint, every time there was a question on staff of who should do something, Quentin would respond this way. It's a true story. He would respond this way. Well, clearly I should be the one to do it because I play college football. <laughs> Didn't really matter what the it was. Like we could be saying somebody needs to fix spaghetti tomorrow night, and he would say, well, clearly it should be me because I play college football. And, and, and he said that for like 10 years. And then he moved to Oregon for like five years. And then he's getting ready to move back, and we've, we've arranged a place on staff for him. We're excited about that. And I get a call in the middle of the night that Quentin is in jail. And, um, and you know, I should probably finish that story, but I'm not because I'd rather you wonder. <laughs> and I don't have time. But he's in jail. And so now the conversation has changed. Every time somebody says, what should I do? Instead of saying, well, I play college football. Now he says, well, I, I spent a few nights in, in jail. And so I got to thinking, Paul spent a lot of time in jail. He's probably in jail when he wrote this book of Ephesians. And so, therefore, we should let the guy who spent time in jail kick it off. It had nothing to do <laughs> with him playing college football. All right? And so, uh, but he did a great job last week kicking this series off. And he began it, and, and I want to go back to there. He began it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, where Paul says this to, to believers in Jesus. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And throughout this series, we're going to have a conversation about how it is that we live in the plan that God has for our lives. In, in, in the face of difficulty, in the face of struggle, in the face of battle, in the face of overwhelming consequences and circumstances, how do we maintain this, this God-given plan for our life that we don't want to miss? And Paul would say to us that the first step, the first issue that we got to deal with is to recognize whose ability it is that sustains us and enables us, equips us to live out the plan that he has for our life. You've heard me say this over and over and over at LifePoint. The most common statement that I have said over time is God has a plan for your life and you don't want to miss it. And the process of missing it or not missing it I think is wrapped up in this one verse. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Because whether or not you miss God's plan for your life is going to be de dependent upon how seriously you take this one verse. And here's why. Most of us in the room, most of us in the room have grown up in a, in a cultural mentality of self-sustaining, self-actualization, um, ability, you know, developing the abilities and the talents and the capabilities within us, pulling up our own bootstraps. And so, in, you know, built into us is this idea that we've got to be able to take control of our own situation and take control of our own success. And so we tend to want to work things out with our own ability and our own might. But Paul says... Finally, at the end of this incredible letter he wrote to the church in Ephesus, his final thoughts, which would have been the thing that he wanted to leave people with remembering is, he says, remember to be strong in the Lord, not strong in your capability, not strong in your ability, not strong in your financial resources, not strong in your connections, not strong in your power, but be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
to understand that in order for us to make an eternal significant difference, we've got to live within, we've, we've got to understand spiritual power, not our own power. And he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And he goes on to say, and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And, and I love this because throughout this series, we're kind of correlating this to a football game. And in football, we begin to understand the schemes of the other team. In football, one of the primary um, attributes, at least to success, is your ability to game plan. It's your ability to think about the opponent that's coming up, review tape, review tendencies, understand what a team likes to do under certain circumstances and plan against it. And Paul says that our enemy, the devil, has schemes. He has strategy. He has plans. He has efforts. And he has intention in your life. In fact, I would say this, that his intentions are pretty clear in Scripture. They say, Scripture says that he is a roaring lion seeking those who he may devour. The, the, the plan of the enemy is always about lies. He is the father of lies, and he is a habitual liar. That's what he does. He lies to us. And his lies are an attempt to get us to deny God, to get us to ignore God's plans for our life, and to convince us to live for something other than the glory of God and the good of humanity, all right? And so here's the crazy thing. As you begin to scheme for your life, recognizing the schemes of the enemy, now, if we don't recognize the schemes of the enemy, what we do is we begin to scheme for our own success. And here's the crazy thing. For many of us in the room and many of us watching online, one of the ways that the enemy has success in our lives and becomes a roaring lion that devours us is by giving us everything that our hearts desire. There are some of us in the room and some of us watching online who at the end of our lives will realize that we lived a good life. And that we spent our efforts on making sure that we were financially stable. That we built our, we, we, we spent our efforts making sure that we could drive the vehicle we wanted to drive and live in the home we wanted to live in. That we surrounded ourselves with the friends that we wanted to have. That we worked our way up the next ladder, the next rung on the ladder to the place that we felt like we were somebody. And all along, the enemy got exactly what he wanted. Because while we made a name for ourselves, we spent an entire lifetime never making a name of God and never living for the fame of the one that deserves fame. And Paul says, be aware. Be aware and put on your whole armor of God so you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That he has a, here's the crazy thing, as many times as I've said, God has a plan for your life and you don't want to miss it. Here's what this verse reminds us. Satan has a plan for your life and you don't want to engage in it. Satan also has a plan for your life. You just don't want a part of it. And the crazy thing is, is that he is a great game planner for your life. He knows your weakness. He knows your tendencies. He knows your frailties. He knows your wishes. And very often he'll give you exactly what you want in order to keep you from exactly what you need. Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God. Don't miss any of it. You put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and prepare your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and take on the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and make sure you are praying always so that you can stand 
against the schemes of the devil. And Quentin ends the conversation saying, give up and suit up. So just give up. Give up your plans. Quit trying to scheme. Quit trying to strategize. Quit trying to plan your life out. And just give it up and say, Lord, you're in control. You're in charge of my life. I'm going to give up and I'm going to suit up. I'm going to put on the whole armor of God so that I can withstand schemes of the enemy. And for some of us in the room, we left last week and that's exactly what we wanted to do. We left and we're like, Lord, I'm just going to give up. I'm going to suit up. Some of you didn't need to hear a sermon to know to do that. You've been, you, you have heard message after message at Life Point for 17 years talking about God's plan for your life and not missing it. And you're like, I'm there. I'm giving, I, I want to experience God. I want to see God in my life. I want to live that way. I want to give up and suit up. And, and if you're like me, it's like, but then something just happens between Sundays, right? And for some of you, you've been wanting to live your life for the glory of God, and then just something happens between Sundays, and it totally distracts you. And, and, and I don't know what your distraction may be, <clears throat> but very often what happens, <clears throat> and I bet you've experienced this, have you ever experienced an interaction with someone that, that you're trying to do the Jesus thing, and somebody in your life just makes it hard to do the Jesus thing? Anybody else experience that? Thank you for your honesty, and I'm sorry to the rest of you liars. You should work on that. I'm just kidding. It, it, sometimes it's just like, I'm trying to do everything I can to live in this like plan God has for my And then there's just people that just make it so difficult, right? And, and, and I, I mean, I, I personally, I ran into this. I said this was one of the most practical messages. I'm preparing for this message that's happened to me this week. And, and, and I'm not going into any details, but it's like I'm trying to give up and suit up, and I'm not just constantly thinking about it like I probably should have been. And suddenly there's like this attack. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, as I've looked back, it's just not a real big attack, but attacks have a way of feeling really big in the moment. And something you should know about me, this is something you should know about your pastor, because I think it's important to, that you know things about your pastor that's real, is I'm an expert at a few things in life. There's some things I'm pretty good at, but there's not much I'm great at. Like I'm pretty good at hitting a softball or a baseball. I can hit one a long way, all right? I'm pretty good at that. I'm pretty good at hitting a golf ball a long way. I'm not real good at where it's going, but I'm pretty good at hitting it a long way, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at a few things in life. Let me tell you what I am great at. Are you ready? I mean, you should know this, but this is what I'm great at. If there's a situation that is a molehill, I am great at turning it into a mountain. Like, great. Like, I'm talking about expert level five, at doing that. And here's why. Here's why. Because my personality, I'm so black and white, right and wrong, left and right, up and down, Alabama, Auburn. I'm so, uh, I'm so like live in such a black and white world. There's no gray in my life. Right? I, I just don't see gray very often. So anything that's slightly wrong ought to be addressed, nipped in the bud, and let's blow the world up for it. Right? I'm just going to tell you, like, if you come to me this week, you go, hey, man, I got a situation. I'm having some trouble. I am more than willing to you to go die on virtually any hill and call it a mountain. All right? It could be an ant mound, but if you want to call it a mountain, I am with you. Let's go. Blow it up. We can just die with all the shrapnel together. All right? I mean, that's just kind of the world I live in. I'm just really good at that. I'm especially good at that if there's a way in my mind that I can justify you've done something to offend or hurt my kids or my wife. And then I'm like, we're not going to just blow this mountain up. We're going to blow every mountain up. Just in case you ran away to another mountain, I'm just going to level it all. 
All right? And I can just do that. And, and I'm great at it. And, and this week, I, 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 there was just something that was said. And my name wasn't said. All right? My name wasn't said at all. Life point wasn't said at all. Nobody, nobody like, called me out. But I just felt like, and I'm, I assumed that they were talking about me. And, um, and I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to deal with it. All right? Because there's not a situation I'm not ever ready to deal with. I'm just like, okay. All right, let's, let's, let's go. Um, and so I began to do what I normally do. And I have since found out that it's what most of you do. So I'm just going to call attention to the way we typically do I want you to just imagine that you're in the same situation. Imagine the last time that you had a situation where somebody just, in your mind, it was an injustice. They hurt you. They hurt somebody you care about. They said something about you, whatever it was. You were offended by something somebody said. Here's what I did. Here's what I bet you did. You can tell me if I'm wrong or not. Here's, here's, what, I, here's what we do. We immediately begin to game plan what the next altercation, what the next confrontation is going to look like with that person. Immediately, we begin a narrative in our minds of this is what I'm going to do when I see them, right? And it's like I'm, I'm going to say this. I think I might just call them up. Just goes ahead, and then I'm going to put out in my head. This is how I'm going to begin the conversation. Actually, that's never in my head. Here's how I'm going to begin the confrontation. Okay, let's go with that. Here's how I'm going to set you up. Like a, like a good attorney in a courtroom, right? I'm going to start it right here. And then in my head, I'm like, this is how they're going to respond. And to that response, I'm going to say this. And then they're going to be like, oh, wow, you make a great point, Matt. But have you thought about this? I'm like, I have thought about that. And here's where you're wrong a little bit more. And I got you for two. And by the way, here's the zinger number three. And you are wrong, and I am right. And now you will tell me that. And I'm like, but it might not go that way. So let's talk about a different way it might go. And on this one, it ends with me putting you in an MMA rear naked choke and watching you unconscious on the ground. And then I'm going to kick you right in the nose because that's what you should do. Ha, ha, ha. And you're like, did you really go that far? Maybe. Bet you did too. Bet you as you began to game plan. I bet you went further than you thought you ought to go too. Because it's highly emotional. And it's hypothetical. And when you're making up a narrative in your own mind, you might as well go to where you really wanted to go. And the funny thing is, it never goes the way that you imagined it was going to go. In fact, like me, many of you probably bumped into that person. And you didn't do any of the stuff that you thought you was going to do. You didn't say anything you said you was going to say. You didn't do anything you was going to say you was going to do. And nobody was laying on the ground unconscious in a rear naked choke. You're like, man, I wouldn't, I don't really think of that. I don't really do that. Mm, do you? I mean, maybe yours looks a little different. Maybe you're like, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to write them a, a letter. I'm going I'm to get me out a pen and paper. I'm going to write them a letter. And I'm just going to tell them how wrong they are. And how much they took advantage of me or mine. And I'll tell you what, when they get that letter... Their whole mind will be changed. And you begin to game plan in your mind of everything you're going to do to make things right with the person who hurts you. And listen, I don't want to minimize this at all. I realize that for me, this is, as the week went on, I began to realize I did not do anything I said about there. I never even had an altercation or a confrontation. Never said a word. Don't plan to. Luckily, I got to deal with this passage of Scripture before all this happened. 
or before I realized it happened. And I don't want to make light. My situation is incredibly light. It was literally a molehill that I was ready to make into a mountain. But many of you have mountains. Some of you have been hurt by parents. Some of you have been hurt by your kids. Some of you have been hurt by people in authority, a teacher, or even maybe a pastor at a church. So some of you have dealt with an ex-husband or an ex-wife that has just really taken advantage of you. And, and, and I want you to know I'm not trying to make light of any situation. What I'm trying to help you figure out is how do we navigate the situation when someone hurts us to the point that we find ourselves game planning for how to deal with them? Because here's the one thing I always notice in every game plan I have, there comes the zinger where they finally admit they were wrong and I have achieved justice. And Paul says, Paul says, be strong in the Lord. And the power of his might. And put on the whole armor of God that you may withstand. So that you don't fall victim to the schemes of the devil. And then he says this. He says, for we do not wrestle. We don't fight. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. You see, sometimes when you hear something that you don't like, Somebody says something you didn't want them to say. Somebody does something that was unfair. We immediately begin to look at that person and say, you are now my enemy and I've got a game plan for you. We begin the internal narrative of how we're going to scheme and correct what we think was wrong. And it seems totally right, by the way. If that person hurts me, I need to either seek justice or hurt them back. And yet Paul says that that's not who our battle is against. He makes it very clear it's not against flesh and blood. And the idea of that is he is very clearly, <coughs> excuse me, very clearly at the beginning saying, your fight is not with each other. Whoever it is right now that has captured the attention of your imagination, that you're having internal dialogue and an internal narrative and game planning for, is not your enemy. Says, that's not who we wrestle with. Wives in the room, you're not, it's not, your husband is not your enemy. Husbands, your wife is not your enemy. Your friends are not your enemy. Your enemies are not your enemies. The people that you work with, not your enemy. The person who may or may not fire you, not your enemy. The person taking advantage of you, not your enemy. The person that broke your heart, not your enemy. People who said something about you that wasn't true, not your enemy. You say, how do you know, Matt? They're not my enemy. Because Paul says, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, our fight is not with flesh and blood. He says, but instead, it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And you're like, well, Matt, that really clears it up for me. Who are those people, right? Way before Genesis 1, when God created the heavens and the earth, we're told that there was a scene in heaven where Lucifer rebelled against God. And his desire to be more significant and have more glory than God, he rebels against God, and he takes with him a third of the angels of heaven, and they're kicked out of heaven, and they're, they're sentenced to the earth. 
And it is here that they, they, they become known as demons. And Satan and his demonic forces are the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And a lot of theologians have tried to sort out who these four things are, four people are, four things. And many people think that it's four different levels of demonic forces on earth. I really don't think that. Uh, but I wouldn't fight you in a dark alley over it because here's the reality. Not much in Scripture. Our only reliable source of information is Scripture. and There's not much in Scripture to be said about demonic forces. But what I think that Paul's trying to tell us is he's given us an idea of the characteristics of these demonic forces that really are our enemy. And I think he says that they are rulers, which means that, that they reign. They, have, they, they are in control. And you may find this hard to believe, but from the time that the enemy has been, was kicked out of heaven until God comes back and makes things right again, which, by the way, I don't think is all that far away. I believe some of the stuff that we see happening in Israel may be very well paving the road for the end of times. You may be saying, well, Matt, people say that every time a war breaks out in Israel. I agree. They say it every time. I'm going to say it every time as long as I'm alive because sooner or later somebody's going to be right, and I might as well be right when that happens. All right? I have some opinions on this one and why I think this might be. My plan is to, uh, I'll film a little video telling you my thoughts, my plans. I'll put it out on social media. You can take a look at it. Um, I'll, I'll try my best to get that done this week, if at all possible. But I think there are some things lining up politically that seem to be similar to what we would expect reading the last pages of, of, of the Bible. I think it could be. All right? You may find it hard to believe but there are, from the time that that happened until God makes it right, and he comes back to earth and sets everything back, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is in charge of this world. It's the reason people who are far from God act like people who are far from God. It's the reason that people go and massacre people at a music festival. You say, yeah, Matt, that happened in the Middle East and down the road in Nevada just a couple of years ago. It's the reason people shoot up elementary schools. Because we are, this world is, in, is being ruled by, the rulers is being ruled by the prince of the power of the air. And his name is Lucifer. He's the enemy of the people of God and the person of God. They have authority. They have authority. Because this is their realm. I have people all the time. I mean, I, I remember, you know, like people like, well, I'm, I'm not scared of Satan. Or any of his demonic force. Listen, Satan is more powerful than you. He is in authority. He has a cosmic power over this present darkness. It's the reason nowhere in Scripture are we told to resist the enemy and he'll flee from us. He said, you're like, no, that's in there. It's in, that's in James. Some of you are like, that's in, that's in the book of James. No, it's not. It says submit to God and resist the enemy, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Satan is not at all concerned about you and me. He is far more powerful than us. He is a cosmic power over this present darkness. The darkness that it's talking about is not night time. It is the darkness of the evil of this world that we live in. This is a dark place. He has a cosmic power. He's not scared of you. But what he does understand is that his authority is only to the degree that the God of the universe allows him to have authority. So when you submit to God, you become a force that is a terror to him. That's why you submit to him under God's, or you submit to God and then you resist the enemy, and he's like, I gotta leave. And Paul says he is also against, he is the spiritual force of evil in the heavenly places. This is so interesting, but in Job chapter one and two, we actually see where Satan has conversations with God in heaven. And that's kind of what it's talking about is that there is still communication between the enemy and between the king. 
It's kind of an interesting conversation because it's not relational. There's no fellowship. God doesn't have fellowship with evil, but apparently he has conversation with it. And sometimes Satan even goes, hey, you think Job is all you think? You think he's all that? I don't. Let's prove it. And the whole book of Job is written after a conversation that Satan has with God. And Paul says, I want to make it clear, that's who the enemy is. The enemy is not your neighbor. It's not your spouse. It's not the person who offended you. It is your enemy. <coughs> he says, we're not fighting one another. Every fight you have with, another, with one another is a proxy fight with the enemy. And more importantly, every time that you find yourself in a fight with flesh and blood, you find yourself in an altercation on the wrong front. And you make yourself vulnerable to distraction. You make yourself vulnerable to an enemy who oftentimes the greatest work he does in our life is to not make us do something wrong, is to keep us from doing something right. Some of you will spend your whole life, and at the end of your life, you will have done a bunch of good things. You'll have the house you always wanted and the cars that you always wanted and the friends you always wanted and the neighborhood you always wanted and the life everybody else seemingly wanted. And you'll have missed out on the great thing of life of being a part of the ecclesia, the movement of God that takes the story of his fame and his gospel to the ends of the world and populates heaven in a way that at the end of time we read about the throne room of heaven being filled with people from every tongue and every tribe, all singing, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. And you have a part to play to make that happen. But when you fight against flesh and blood, you risk being distracted from what really matters. You see, it's kind of like, imagine this. I mean, we're right in the middle of college football season. Let me tell you what coaches are doing right now. Coaches today all over the country are getting ready for next Saturday. So you and I get ready for next Saturday probably a few hours in advance. But coaches get ready for next Saturday months ago. Months ago. Some of you watch the Pat McAfee show and on Thursdays. Coach Nick Saban is on there. It's one of the best things, even if you're not an Alabama fan. It's a really great segment. Three weeks ago, the world on social media blew up because Nick Saban had a folder sitting on his desk with a big orange T on it. And Tennessee fans everywhere were like, looky there. Nick Saban's got a Tennessee folder on his desk. The whole social media world blew up. Whenever Tennessee fans should have went, oh, no, Nick Saban's got a Tennessee folder on his desk, and it's still four weeks before we play because they're preparing for the opponent that they're going to play. But imagine, imagine that the third weekend in October shows up and it happens to be the fourth weekend of October. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And Alabama's playing Tennessee. Those of you who don't know they're Alabama fans, we play Tennessee in the third weekend of October. Except like the last five years when we played on the fourth Saturday in October. But who knows, whatever. So imagine Nick Saban has been preparing, the coaching staff has been preparing and they're like, here's what we know. We know defensively they're going to run a 3-4 defense. I don't even know. They're going to run a 3-4 defense. When they get us in third down and long, they're going to they're stack the box. 
And they're going, to they're going to make us want to throw the ball because they assume we have a quarterback that when you put a lot of pressure on him, throws balls to teams with the wrong color jersey. So here's how we're going to prepare for that. We're, 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 going, to, we're going to roll Jalen Milrow out. We're going to give him one option to throw the ball, and if it's not open, we're going to run the ball. That's what we're going to do. So they've got a plan for third down, a scheme, if you will. And Saturday, right before kickoff, this team comes running out of the tunnel. And everybody looks over, and for some reason, Tennessee's wearing a Kentucky blue jersey. Everybody's like, that's kind of weird. Wonder why Tennessee'd be wearing blue. They get out to the coin toss, and the captains come out on the field, and they're like, well, y'all's shirts say Wildcats on it. I thought Tennessee was volunteers, and all of a sudden, the entire coaching staff realizes we've game planned for the wrong team. We got confused this week. And Kentucky's not planning to run a 3-4 at all. In fact, they think that their front three can stop the run. So they're actually going to a dime defense. They're going to put six defensive backs out there. And they were hoping you were going to throw the ball on third down. Because they don't think that your guy can throw it to the right person. And suddenly everything is messed up because we game plan for the wrong team and the wrong opponent. Imagine if all the energy that you've been spending focused on the people who offended you and the people who talked about you and the people that hurt you and the people that said things about your mama and the people that said things that were untrue. Imagine all this internal energy and internal narrative that you've spent only to realize that your fight was never with them. But instead, it was with rulers and authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. When all the time what you should have been doing was taking up the whole armor of God so that you would be able to withstand in the evil day and having done everything, you could stand. You see, we, we create an internal narrative. I'm going to say this and they're going to say that. I'm going to reply with this and then if it requires it, I'm going to punch them in the mouth, whatever it takes. I'm going to write the letter. When all the while, the game plan you should have had was I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. Take up the shield of faith and put on the belt of truth. Prepare my feet, shod my feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then I'm going to pray because my fight is not with the people who have offended me. My fight is with a force of spiritual darkness that I can't even comprehend. And if I'm going to fight a spiritual fight, I better put on spiritual armor and understand that for my life to matter, it's not going to matter the house and the car, house I live in, the car I drive. What's going to matter more is how far did I push the gospel down the field? How many times did I make much of Jesus? And how often did I love somebody like Jesus loved me? You see, if you want a bottom line this morning, try this. Game plan for the right enemy.
Let me say it this way. If you find yourself compelled to jump on Facebook to express how somebody has hurt you so that you can get a bunch of comments of people who agree with you because you live in an echo chamber of friends who think the way you think, and you can feel somehow vindicated that people are on your side and are ready to go fight with you. And by the way, when what happened, when, I, when the situation I'm telling you about last week, I, I had more than one person say, well, we can, go, we can go pay a visit right now. Let me tell you something. It is great to have people when you need to go, they'll go with you. But it's better to have people that when you want to go, they say, let's keep our focus on what really matters. Don't write the letter. Don't engage in the internal narrative. And as far as social media goes, can we go back to just posting a picture of what we're having for lunch and telling everybody it was delicious? That was great days. All right. I remember when it first came out, I was like, 